After years of relative calm, it seems every day is a big day for stocks. That is, a big up or a big down, but mostly down. This is the coronavirus taking a toll on the nation's economic health. Just how nervous is the coronavirus making markets? Put it this way. Not even during the darkest days of the financial crisis more than a decade ago was day-to-day stock volatility as turbulent as it's been lately. For more insights on the coronavirus and its impacts on the economy and banking, we spoke on March 13th with Jeff Korzenik, chief investment strategist at Fifth Third Bank, one of the nation's largest consumer banks with more than 1,200 full-service locations in the Midwest and the Southeast U.S. Actionable insights can help power smart decisions. Each week, the BAI Banking Strategies podcast focuses on important issues facing financial services leaders, as well as the emerging trends that are rapidly reshaping the financial industry. I'm Terry Badger, your host and the managing editor at BAI. Pull up a chair and join us. Welcome to the BAI Banking Strategies podcast. Our guest today is Jeff Korzenik, Chief Investment Strategist at Fifth Third Bank. He's joining us to offer his take on the wild swings we've been seeing in financial markets as a result of the coronavirus and how the banking industry in particular may be affected by both market volatility and the government's efforts to shore up the economy. Jeff, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you. Jeff, the longest bull market for stocks in U.S. history is finally over. And it happened really fast, too, uh, going from record highs to a bear market in just a few weeks. Now, I know you don't have a crystal ball on your desk, but based on what you're seeing, where do you think the bottom might be? Now, uh, given no crystal ball, we turn to history to get some guidelines. And uh, if you look at all the bear markets uh, going back to the the early 1920s, the average drawdown, arithmetic average, the mean, is... uh, Top to bottom, about 39%. Um, As of yesterday's close, we were down 27%. Another way of looking at this is the median, which is the same number of uh, worse drawdowns and better drawdowns among bear markets, is minus 33%. Um, We could have a way to go. Our our, our sense is that, uh, to use an old Wall Street uh, phrase, if you're going to panic, panic early, it's too late to panic. And so that we are closer, uh, our senses were most likely closer to the bottom than we have been before. So obviously, the proximate driver of the stock market collapse is the economic disruptions caused by the coronavirus. But it seems like the market was already on edge, You're just waiting for a shoe to drop. So how were you thinking about the market before the bottom fell out? But we had, uh, and this is actually quite rare for us, through the uh, entire bull market, we have never once been underweight equities. We've generally, relative to our benchmarks and our asset allocation, we had been overweight equities, had a little bit of extra, sometimes a lot more extra exposure to equities. Back in October, we actually pulled back to a neutral position and, and even as gold portfolios. Uh, our thinking was a, an economy that was running out of labor was a more vulnerable economy. We did not expect it to be this vulnerable. We did not expect uh, a global health uh, pandemic to be the cause of the end of the bull market. But we had sensed that there was some vulnerability in the in the market already. This being an election year, that might have also been a possible factor as well. Yeah, and without. 
picking sides in the election, um, there's a well-known history that markets prefer status quo elections. They want the same parties to control uh, the presidency and the houses of Congress as before. The current situation in many ways for market expectations was an ideal because it also included a split Congress, different parties controlling the House and versus the Senate. And to the degree that the a coming economic downturn threatens that status quo that's piling on and and likely exacerbating some of these losses. Let's not forget about bonds too. You know, they're getting bruised as well. That bottom edge of the investment grade market, the the triple Bs, they've come under a lot of pressure. I think it's to the point where many expect a, a wave of downgrades to junk status. So, how do you see that playing out? To us this is really the critical point. Um, we expect a global economic downturn because of the health issues and, and the disruptions to the supply chain and disruptions to commerce more broadly uh, because of this. Our current expectation is that it will be nasty, brutish, and short and won't spiral into a more drawn-out uh, recession, the kind of thing that might last for uh, a couple of months, full quarter, maybe bleed into another quarter. Uh, but if this results in credit markets tipping over and a significant tightening of credit conditions, that to us would signal a more drawn-out, uh, traditional-looking recession that goes on for a while. We're right on the cusp. When we look at credit spreads currently, we're right back to the levels or close approaching the levels that we saw at uh, the beginning of 2016, the last big credit stress we have. Um, we're not yet through those peaks. If we go through those peaks, uh, we would be prepared to say it'll be, it will uh, get worse and be a more long, drawn-out recession. I don't think I'm going out on too much of a limb by, by imagining that there's going to be a lot more uh, market volatility in the, in the weeks ahead. So what are you telling your wealth management clients? about dealing with that volatility if it happens? I think one of the keys here, of course, is just constant communication. We've done more client communication through uh, emails, uh, client conference calls, as well as um, many, many internal calls with our portfolio managers and wealth advisors. And our uh, customers and our clients understand we don't have a crystal ball, but what they want to hear is that we have a process and a way that we've um, analyzed this and we're setting some uh, benchmarks uh, such as credit spreads that will be informing our future decisions. Um, we do emphasize it's too late to sell. We constantly re-emphasize at every crisis along this uh, bull market uh, trend. There have been many points at which it's been very hard to stay the course. And our consistent message to investors has been that there are two secrets to long-term investment success, discipline, which we can provide in an asset allocation, and patience, which means continuing with an investment plan and an investment allocation. We do tweak those allocations according to market conditions, but it's a constant reminder that we will get through this. Um, we have in our economic presentations, even though we've been somewhat cautious, even before the coronavirus issues uh, crept up, we've always liked to focus on, even when you're near-term cautious, look at all the good things that are developing for the U.S. economy on, on a 10-year looking forward basis. And, and I think it's important to keep that focus because for our investors, they are long-term investors. They should understand the good underlying trends in the economy, despite the setback that we're obviously going to have. The Fed is back in rate-cutting mode. And the Fed is back to buying bonds again, trying to keep the economy from slowing too much. So, Jeff, what do you think the recession risk is at this point, if you can put a number on it? And 
do you think the Fed has enough ammunition to make much of a difference in what ultimately happens? We probably think the probability of a recession, by that I mean something that lasts more than a quarter, that's a more traditional, long, drawn-out downturn, not just a sharp uh, interruption that we certainly expect. We think the odds of that are probably 40%, 45%. So it's not our base case, but it's getting close to that for uh, for sure. As to the Fed's ability to counteract that, it, it's frankly limited. Um, the, 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 uh, the Fed can cut rates, it can provide liquidity to the market. Those are helpful. And in the case of um, ensuring continued liquidity are, are necessary um, items. But if credit spreads blow out by a couple hundred basis, points for corporate borrowers, that that doesn't necessarily, um, it can be partially, but not fully offset by by Fed easing. What the Fed can do with uh, easing is uh, help consumers and take some of those stresses away. And in particular, uh, the way it helps consumers is through the ability to uh, keep mortgage interest rates low and offer refinancing uh, opportunities that put but put cash in the hands of consumers. Um, that is helpful. It won't be sufficient to stop uh, a, a downturn of this nature, but but um, it certainly can help. This lower rate environment, um, you know, that we're in, it's not a great thing for banks revenue-wise. So, I'm wondering how you see rate cuts uh, affecting the banking sector. Um, I obviously as reflected in uh, stock prices for the group, it, it's hit hard. Net interest margins are going to be uh, pressured by this, and, and this could persist for a long time. Um, th- there's a possibility when we get through all this that all the liquidity being thrown in the market uh, might end up um, changing the outlook for inflation expectations. And, and uh, again, once we get through all of this, which is, is going to feel like a long time away, you know, maybe we'll see uh, yields pop back up. But the, the po- probability is that uh, we are going to be in a low interest rate environment for longer. Um, the Fed has somewhat set that up. They've taken this um, asymmetric uh, approach to interest rates. They, uh, if we get inflation coming back, they're likely to be very slow to increase rates. And when you don't have much maneuvering room, they they have tried to err on the side of uh, uh, cutting rates earlier than they might otherwise and more aggressively than they might otherwise. That That's not a recipe for a higher interest rate environment, the kind of higher interest rate environments that could be uh, helpful to banks. What other ways do you see the banking sector possibly being affected by the coronavirus? Well, this is certainly going to accelerate trends that have long been in place. The move to digital uh, digital solutions for uh, for customers. Um, I, I think there's some broader implications that are not just for the banking sector, but really um, across the board. Um, we, we've been facing, as you know, a labor shortage. Uh, this is across every industry. Some some industries more acutely than others. And I think you'll see banks like other employers, this is not by any means exclusive to the banking community, really start to look at their employees differently and, and look more towards uh, long-term support of their, uh, of their employees. And that will include uh, embracing health outcomes. So a much more holistic view of employee wellness than, we, than we've seen before. Do you think there's some parts of the banking sector that, that may be more exposed to coronavirus problems than others based on their size or client base or something else? These days, so much of uh, the business can be done remotely. So most banking, bankers, uh, you know, traditional commercial bankers, 
relationship managers um, have a much greater ability to work from home. And so this kind of social distance that, that is, is going to be one of the things that helps our health outcomes um, will continue. Um, I obviously, um, you know, retail has expo- more, more exposure to this because of, of the physical presence and, it, and the possibility of working from home other than to, to drive uh, digital s- solutions. Um, banks that don't have diversified income streams that are more reliant on net interest margin versus fee income um, obviously have, have, have greater exposure as well. So no doubt uh, Fifth Third is taking coronavirus seriously. Uh, what precautions are you uh, all taking to, to protect your employees and, and also to protect your customers? Sure. You know, as an industry, we are actually in much better shape uh, than many others because from a regulatory uh, uh, basis, we've been required, of course, all of us to have uh, contingency and, and uh, emergency uh, plans. Um, so, so we are simply uh, going by our uh, playbook to a large degree. Uh, more recently, we've done things like uh, testing the bandwidth of of, uh, of more employees being able to work from home and work remotely. Um, those kind of things, communicating with clients. Um, I, I think one of the things that uh, banks can uh, do is this client communication. And, and reassuring uh, all of our customers that we will be in business, that we are still there to serve them, that we have uh, uh, long had uh, contingency plans, have tested those plans. That's that. Th- among all the concerns that uh, our clients and customers uh, will be facing in the weeks ahead, the last one should be worrying about the safety and soundness of, of their financial institution. And I think it's important that we, we let people know about that. Jeff, we really do appreciate your, your insights on the... Um on the state of the market, on how it may affect the banking sector. But now I want to I want to have a total change of subject here. Jeff, when you're, when you're not strategizing about markets, you're strategizing about something else that's uh, very important to you, and that's how to open up more job opportunities to people with criminal records. Uh, you're even writing a book about it. So tell us more about what's at stake here and also why this is so important to you. You know, it's interesting because people often ask, why is a bank and a banker involved in in this effort to uh, create job pathways for people with criminal records. And I don't see it as any different from, from my day job, if you will. Um, we have a labor shortage in this country. It is only going to get worse because birth rates have been declining, not just in the U.S., but but globally as well. And we can't afford to, uh, to uh, waste resources. So we see our work in researching pathways to employment for people with criminal records as helping our customers who have a labor shortage. So it helps them uh, grow their business and it certainly helps our community. So I, I don't really know of a better uh, a better task for a banker than helping our customers and helping our uh, communities. Um, what's at stake is the speed at which we can grow and the length at which, you know, how long we can continue um, economic expansions. Uh, the, the, the key, uh, economists agree on very few things, but one thing they do agree on is that the potential growth of any economy is based on two and really only two factors. How fast can you grow your workforce and how productive uh, can they be? How fast can you grow their productivity? And we have literally millions of people who are sidelined or dramatically underemployed, not able to participate to their full potential because of the barriers of of, uh, criminal records. So Jeff, yeah, tell us more about this book and when's it coming out? 
Uh, sure. It's essentially the book will be the business case and best practices for hiring people with criminal records. I, I gave you the macro case, but the, the, the micro case, what's in it for the business owner is it turns out if you have a, an appropriate process for finding the people who are ready to turn their life around and giving them appropriate resources to stay employed and to prosper as employees, you get not just an ordinary employee, but one that is highly engaged and very loyal. And that combination of high engagement and low turnover is a recipe for profitability. Um, it's coming out uh, in uh, February of 2021. My publisher is HarperCollins. It'll be done under the HarperCollins leadership imprint. So I'm very pleased to be partnering uh, with such a great publisher and excited about this being the first book of its kind. You're making a persuasive case on the economics and from the societal viewpoint as well. We're looking forward to picking up a copy of the book once it's out. Jeff Korzenik, Chief Investment Strategist at Fifth Third Bank. Thanks again for joining us on the podcast to share your insights on financial markets and particularly the potential impacts on the banking industry. Thank you. Three key takeaways from today's podcast with Jeff Korzenik. First, there's a good chance that the impact of the coronavirus will tip the U.S. economy into recession, if that hasn't happened already. How bad might a recession be? Right now, Jeff sees a relatively short contraction triggered by supply chain constraints that disrupt global commerce. Of course, that's subject to change. The thing to watch for now is how credit markets behave. If credit conditions tighten up and businesses are starved of the cash they need to operate, the result could be a deeper and more drawn-out recession that would inflict more damage on the economy. In addition, the Federal Reserve has turned the calendar back a decade by cutting interest rates essentially to zero, and it is committed to buying hundreds of billions more in treasuries and mortgage bonds. Jeff's view is that Fed action at this point would have a limited impact at fending off recession. That doesn't mean there isn't some value. By keeping rates at zero and injecting more liquidity into the system through bond buying, the Fed's move could help by putting money into the hands of consumers. One beneficial way of doing that is by keeping mortgage rates low. And finally, those same low interest rates that help consumers could weigh on banks whose revenue is largely dependent on net interest margin. If history is any guide, this ultra-low rate environment could persist for quite a while. The hardest hit in this scenario could be smaller financial institutions and those with less diversified revenue streams. Jeff also says the longer-term legacy of the coronavirus could be an acceleration in the current trends toward digital solutions in the banking sector. Thanks for joining us on the BAI Banking Strategies Podcast. I'm Terry Badger, Managing Editor at BAI, and until next time, stay safe and healthy. <laughs>